Hey there, I'm Jo, and this is Looking Outside. Join me and some of the most influential and original thinkers in business and beyond as we explore fresh takes on familiar topics. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Looking Outside. Many of us work in the retail space, and whether you're talking about a grocery store or somewhere you get your food, like a fast casual restaurant, a luxury fashion store, the retail space has evolved significantly over the last few decades, driven by technology, competition from online, brand creativity, changing consumer expectations, you name it. So today, we're talking about what's emerged and what's emerging in the retail space with a top voice in this area. Tim Nash. Welcome to the show, Tim. Thanks for having me. As a starting point, I'll just get you to do a little bit of an intro into who you are. Well, I'm Tim Nash. I call myself a visual thinker rather than a creative because I've got, I think I sort of get stuck on the point that I don't perhaps don't come with any sort of skill set in this world. But I'm really sort of passionate about kind of creating physical brand experiences that engage and inspire people. My background is in retail. I dropped out much to my mum's displeasure and horror. I think she won for a fashion design course at university and kind of just made my way into retail. I I needed a job. It's the only way I was allowed to drop out was to get a job. And I ended up at French Connection just as a sales association. Didn't know anything about kind of like the visual world, visual merchandising and, and kind of ended up working there and literally just sort of fell in love with the industry. And I've sort of headed up visual functions and creative functions for brands uh, kind of globally and sort of working with some of the best sort of, uh, in my eyes, I suppose, brands at the point of their kind of global sort of dominance, things like Fred Perry, Jack Wills, Topshop, Topman, kind of just learning my trade really as we go. And then the last 10 years has been about uh, sort of stepping away from the, the, the kind of brand-led side and working much more kind of from a sort of function with brands. So from a agency side, so working with them, helping them on the strategy and, and kind of creative identity. And really kind of now in the last three years, unpicking what this future of, of physical retail is and, and really helping brands and other agencies and consumers in general kind of understand what this new world is, especially post-COVID. So that's kind of me. I'm a co-parent dad of two children. They're not so small anymore. They're 12 and 8. I've got a dog that I walk. I live in the Peak District, which is kind of not very creative at all, but totally kind of, I think, helps on my work-life balance. So I spread my time between London and then here where I am at the moment in the peaks, which is a really nice sort of balance. And I'm not from here. I'm South London born and bred, as you can probably tell from my accent. And uh, yeah, so I'm kind of a, a tourist in this, in this where I live now. So uh, it's kind of not why I imagined at 42 that I am now is where I would be, but it's, <laughs> it's really funny how life sort of pans out. So... It's interesting also like hearing how you started off kind of talking about cre- like creativity, which is obviously just a huge part of what you do. And, and I think that the way that you think, and then I guess the career path that you've gone down is, um, it feels like you're, like the, the running theme throughout your career has always continued to be creativity. Yeah, and I think it's brand, I love brand. I think mm-hmm. that's the thing. I love this kind of like a f- sort of association or, or kind of thing we have 
this love or passion or oh, I don't know what it is. It's weird, but it's this sort of like thing to brand. And I think that's why I went to university to do fashion design because I think I I kind of had this weird vision that brand and fashion was the same. Mm. And actually, as soon as I started on this course of, uh, at university, I loved art at school. It's really good at art. But actually, everything I did at art was huge, like big things. So I kind of knew I was into kind of like big installations at that point, but didn't really know what that was. And then I went to fashion, did fashion design, and I hated it because it was all about you as a person and what you could do and what. And I was really, it kind of felt really alien. And then, yeah, I dropped out of university. Like I say, my mum was horrified. I think she wanted this famous fashion designer son. And I, I, I trekked around and sort of French Connection was really cool at the time. It was like 2001, maybe, 2002. French Connection was kind of like super cool. It was it was doing all the FC UK stuff. And I, I just loved it. And I got a job there. I thought I was really cool. I just fell in love with this kind of idea that people bought into a brand. And then got involved with the visual merchandising side, which I didn't know existed. It was like the, this kind of way that you could get people to buy into a brand through the way that you curated these sort of in-store displays was really kind of like it got this buzz that you you could do it. And then that kind of grew. And, and ultimately, but that's what I still do now, is just the same thing of making people inspired to, to kind of purchase or, or engage with the brand. And, and that's what I, I love. And I love the fact that you can flip this, it's the creativity, it's that intrinsic kind of DNA of a brand that you'll bring into life physically. And I think that's always kind of been my passion. I, I, it, it's changed over the years from how that works, whether that's window displays or product displays or now like big kind of immersive things or pop-ups or but actually the core kind of piece of that is you want to kind of get people to, part with their hard-earned cash. Yeah, and I, I love how you talk about, you know, that really what's, what's the connecting link and the thing that drives you is really understanding how you can display a brand, like the the brand identity, how can that come to life? And so I was going to say storytelling, but it's kind of mu much more than storytelling. But I think that was, was probably under-leveraged quite a lot, just more broadly in the retail space or in the spaces where brands traditionally show up is really just thinking about how they show up in that physical space because it feels like it wasn't not even 10 years ago when we were so focused on just simplifying. And, you know, we were talking about choice paralysis and navigation in store and just make the decision making easier, cleaner, simpler, you know, leverage maybe three distinctive assets and that's it, simplify. And I feel like now we're coming into this, I don't know if I'm overstating it, so I'd love your perspective, but this kind of decade of greater focus on the visual way that the brand shows up and really kind of more emotive cues, more visual cues to bring that brand to life? It's very negative. If you read any sort of news and you sort of see any articles, again, there's there's a sort of negative thing to it. But there's a lot that people, I think, perhaps sort of glaze over is that there's this new kind of world. And unless you sort of are willing, brands are willing to embrace that, then yes, the, the, the kind of the world of physical retail is kind of dead and done. But... There's this, such an exciting thing out there because we're now going back. Like you say, we spent, and I was part of that, things like French Connection, which is a great example of, of kind of a business who kind of built this cookie. If we talk about formulaic cookie cutter, I, I was part of that. I went to Japan. I went to the Middle East. I went to across Europe and, and things like that to kind of open formulaic stores. We... 
they were the same. We had the same window. We had the same product display. But that was the power of the brand. But I suppose there wasn't a dot-com business. So this was how you could go and like infiltrate global cities with, with your kind of brand presence. We've then sort of flipped now. We're so consumed. I think what's so exciting is we're so consumed now by visual stimulus, like Instagram, TikTok. And what's now sort of really exciting to see is that kind of craving for visual kind of content is now flipping its world back into the kind of physical world. So instead of these formulaic approaches, which if you look at the kind of real estate and retail stores that struggled are the ones that are not embracing this po- this opportunity to curate kind of physical content. So if you're a, a sort of simplistic formulaic brand, then yeah, what are you offering? Whereas, you know, the brands who are embracing it, people, you know, you just have to look to like Louis Vuitton, for example, they are taking this, their brand and physically bringing it to life to their consumer in a variety of different ways. And that's exciting. It's it's kind of why I think I got into visual merchandising because that's what ultimately window displays was. It was a way to engage with the consumer in a way that stopped them as they were passing the, it's like the store. It's like, whoa, what's that? Let's Let's go explore and I think we lost that kind of a when we lost that window display because it was about promotional activity it was about selling it was about how many kind of chinos for example can you get into the store window to engage the consumer because I think there was this point in especially sort of early 2000s that you the more product you put in there the more you could sell and we really sort of flipped back to this art of visual merchandising and, and creating experiences that, that kind of engage the consumer. And it's challenging because what's different to perhaps 10, 15 years ago is now brands have to be so much more connected across multiple channels. And that's that's really interesting. That's I, I get I'm really interested in this new way of kind of connecting the dots, as I sort of call it, across multiple touch points it historically it used to be probably buying a merchandise and would say right we've got this product tim we need to display it in x y and z there you go now it's it's driven by a much bigger well it's a creative director like you've got pharrell at Louis, like lv kind of driving so much more like what's the like the the social campaign the marketing campaign the print campaign like everything has to kind of holistically exist together. And then how are we going to deliver that physically? It's like so many plates to spin now. But those that can kind of keep those plates spinning at the same time are the ones that are nailing what I call is the, like they are driving this retail revolution. The ones who are still on act as, as brands where, okay, well, this is what we're this is what we're going to do on social. This is what we're doing on our web. This is what we're going to do in the stores. And they kind of don't really connect to each other. Yeah. That's, it feels disconnected. It feels old-fashioned. And I think you don't need to be Louis Vuitton to, in terms of budgets to kind of deliver these experiences, but you need to think like Louis Vuitton. It's a really interesting kind of challenge, I think, because like even uh, like from the field that you're in, I can imagine that you would have done a lot of responses to briefs that are very much led by the platform versus the actual idea. So I, I love the point that you're making that it's almost like it's the idea, it's the creative direction. And then how does the brand come to life in a consistent and exciting way across different platforms? And it feels like the old fashioned thing that you're talking about is also just that 
with the proliferation of digital platforms and social media, it feels like brands have like taken themselves a little bit too literally when they start briefing in, like I'm doing a social activation. How should yeah. it come to life in a little square on a social media platform as opposed to like taking it three steps back? And what you're saying is like, how does the brand, what is that consistent thread that makes the brand come to life in a relevant way for the platform, but still in, that's true to the brand. Any client who'll come to uh, to me or to uh, is to say, okay, that's really cool. I love that three-page brief <laughs> just given. But what's the one sentence here that we're trying to, like, what is the one thing? What's the, if you can deliver this, whatever we're trying to do is not going to deliver X, Y, and Z. Like there's two, you're, you're, it's going to be so diluted. What's the one thing that is most important about this? Or what's the, like, we're going to do this activation. What is the key KPI of, and I hate the word KPI, like, so, <laughs> it's so corporate stuff. It's, it's, but it is so true that you've got to have, like, a, what is the purpose? And let's build back then. Mm -hmm. And the, the old-fashioned way of thinking is, we've got this, we need to promote and sell this. That, or we've designed this collection We've shot it now, actually take that campaign and deliver that across various platforms. And you kind of go, well, the challenge is now you've already made loads of decisions. You've shot it in this location. Okay, why uh, we can't take right. that location to the consumer. Mm -hmm. So what we should have done is thought about all that at the, be at the beginning and then the various functions can go off and, and kind of do their thing. And I think that's where you can see kind of luxury of kind of got this... I suppose that's the new role of a creative director to, to kind of manage this overarching thing rather than being very sort of focalized on one. Like Virgil is probably the, the change of that kind of like way he did at Louis Vuitton was like he, he wasn't so intrinsic in the, the product. It was more in this, this brand world that he was creating and how he brought different parts. Of it. And to, I, I sort of became really he's a big kind of icon and hero because of my, because the way he sort of created this world was a really sort of interesting way to kind of bring brands to life. And it was so less, like I've worked with the creative directors in the past who were very sort of stuck on very minor details. And you kind of go, it doesn't really, like, we've got to get over, like for me, it's what's the customer journey? What's the customer experience like? Yeah. If that role, that turn up on that gene is, is slightly not right, is that the problem? The problem is we've got to think about this big, big picture. Right. Well, yeah, going back to work, well, like, what problem are you actually trying to solve is really powerful. So I'm really curious then, because I know that you've, you've got a lot of experience in, like working with luxury brands, and I'm sure that you get this question like a ton, but, you know, often brands that are in more commodity spaces or a little bit more like everyday approachable brands, they hear examples of luxury or high-end or premium, and they they automatically discount them in many ways because they think, well, I can't operate in the same way. I can't charge the same prices and I can't get away with the same types of activations. So I'm curious then, because I, I think you would probably say that's not exactly true. So what is it that the kind of everyday, not run of the mill, but day-to-day -day average brands could do to learn from what the luxury space is doing that they're not paying enough attention to? Luxury is is an experience, like that's the point of doing it. It's a special, like, unless you're very wealthy, it's a treat. Like it's a, you go to Harrods for a, 
for a luxury experience. You you know, you go to an afternoon tea for a special treat. It's but I think there's there's those little parts of that intrinsic experience that you can take away to everyday brands. Like and it doesn't mean it has to be more expensive, but it's it's kind of what's the what's the little added extras you get. And I think that's more important now to kind of physical retail is, and that's what I think everyday brands need to take away from the luxury experience is everyone wants an experience. Otherwise you might as well just shop on, if you're going to be, if you're just going to be mundane, then you're, you're kind of competing with Amazons and ASOS and like yeah. the kind, because you can, if you just want to per click buy and, and sort of have something, you might as well do that online. Like there's, and or you go to Primark. But actually, Primark is kind of building these experiences into its its retail estate anyway. Like the store in Madrid has got like full on digital or um, sort of installations, and the, the new stores they're doing are much more sort of focused on the architectural details and and the experience you get when you visit. But I think any brand in any space in kind of physical retail needs to kind of remember that they're they're not only competing against their kind of like physical competitors with the the digital and i think that's where the retail world has struggled in the last especially those brands in the middle you know they kind of offer a very sort of formulaic approach it's very safe and you're just going to purchase then what extra can you do to make that customer feel special to feel loved what are they gaining by going to the store rather than getting a, a brown box delivered to their, their front door? Like yeah. that's that's the kind of like decision. I love how you take it back to that. It's like really thinking about luxury as an experience. So it's it's almost like a feeling. So how are you translating that through how your brand comes to life? So connected into that and the point that you made around the mundane is something really interesting that's taking place at the moment with like fast food, fast casual restaurants. Um, and it's a conversation that's kind of circulating online and it's definitely fed through into the McDonald's businesses. In our quest to create a nice quality space, physical space, we focus on clean, modern, simple aesthetics. And what that means is it becomes formulaic and a little bit mundane and maybe too homogenous. So um, you're not creating that kind of brand distinction and you're probably not leaving a lot of space for the experience with the brand to really come to life. I'd love your take on that. Yeah, I think food's really interesting. And I, I, I take the kids and uh, say to, we love to eat out. But I think what's really interesting is, and I suppose now with like we talk about the cost of living, there's a like, food is a, again, it's probably like a lot. It's, it's an experience you want. And it's been driven out more because it's not a cheap like night out. It's a, so you're expecting more. I think even from your kind of, like I say, trips like to McDonald's or to your kind of everyday restaurant, you, you're kind of going, well, actually now this is more than just a, a pop in and get a burger. It's a, I want more. And I think that's probably heightened again by the fact that during COVID we were all locked indoors. And now every, every opportunity we get to go somewhere is like a heightened experience. Mm-hmm. It's like insane. <laughs> But I think I suppose and it's interesting because there's such been such a rise in the independence in this world, like the independent um, food mm-hmm. businesses, and ultimately what they bring is a is this kind of like bespoke 
intrinsic. It's a, like a brand. Is it? It's like it's they bring that personality to life in their space, and I think that's that's what I suppose adds that little extra piece of flavouring to each of the you kind of unique environments. And I I suppose that's that's a really interesting part of the food because it it kind of builds on this piece that we talked about for kind of brand and retail is that it adds that little extra thing. So what are you gaining from going to this restaurant versus is it an experience? Is it something new? Are you learning something new? Is it discovering something new? Is it feel new? Is there something different when you go? And I suppose that's the, that's the really interesting with McDonald's is there's two things. As a parent, you kind of know it's, it's really cool because actually it's really safe. And every time I go to a McDonald's, I know that it's going to be the same and I know that there'll be seats and I know I can do this. But I actually go, what's the little surprise there? And the surprise sometimes is when you go to one in Spain and they do a beer. Now, that's, that's cool. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you're like, oh, that's cool. Or you can sit outside and, like, mm. and look over the beach. Like they're, they're kind of the fun. But I think there's something to learn in, in this kind of world is like what's, what's that little added bonus that you get from, from going. It's so easy to get a delivery of food, but it doesn't. It's not the same. It doesn't taste the same. Like it's not the same. Food, drink, F&B, like fashion, retail. Actually, this whole thing is kind of like merging into this weird sort of brand sphere where nothing sits apart. It's a really interesting reflection that you make as well around how these things are merging and also, you know, the, the reflection of the role that specific places play in our lives and the, the part of the journey where, you know, for example, it might be more of a, like a psychological you know, an environmental change that cues something for me or the everyday experience now plays a much more heightened role for me. And so much of that has kind of like been very obvious with COVID. But I know that you've been like in the retail industry for 20 years, you said. So I'm curious then, like, what's like a tipping point that happened over that 20 years where you feel like the game really changed and brands started to do things differently? I think we needed, it's really bad to say, and it's like a terrible thing to say, I think we needed COVID. Like, it's really bad to say that. But on a, on a kind of, like, if we're talking about the industry, the industry needed this point to stop. Like, the problem with retail is it never stops. Like, you just keep churning out. Like, let's just keep churning. Like, new product, autumn, winter, spring, summer. Like, let's, we're just going to keep going. And then we're going to throw in the web, like, dot-com business. We're going to grow. And everyone's like, oh, that's cool. But like the, the kind of e-com business is really growing. It doesn't really matter about the stores now because we're we're building a platform. And then I think we've probably everyone's talked about it for a long time. I I've got some books here. One was actually written in 2019 about the retail revolution, which is pre-COVID. I've got one actually, the second one, which is like post-COVID. And actually the two sort of the, the kind of stories of it are the same, like the thoughts on it are the same, is that there needs to be kind of a reset because we're still treating, especially in the UK, our high streets and our stores like we did in the 50s. Like we expect to, the way that we've set up our cities and our thing is to kind of like serve a purpose. But actually our purpose, even pre-COVID, had changed massively. Like we'd got, a, there's a, we've now all got devices. Like we're all connected 24-7. You can shop if when you're in the bath or on the bus. Like it, it's, but we're, Retails, we're just going to carry on doing the same because it worked last year, so it'll, carry, it'll work next year. <laughs> right. 
Yeah. And, and I think COVID probably needed to happen for everyone just to go, okay, let's stop. Um, and obviously then, then that was a ch- the challenge, doors closed, businesses struggled, but it allowed everyone just to kind of go, right, what are we going to do now? Like, how are we going to navigate out of this situation? Yeah, which was really kind of new and, and needed. interesting. Yeah. So which brand do you feel did that really, really well? Because you've obviously, you've got Shop Drop Daily, which is awesome, an awesome resource. I'll, I'll link that into the show notes. Um, so you see a lot of inspiration, I guess, like you're able to piece those together. So the things that you see emerging on a day-to-day basis, you're probably theming them up into, you know, like this brand is re- like really hitting the mark and doing some amazing things. So which brand do you feel really adapted after COVID? The one that I am really obsessed with and I I think is amazing is Jacquemus and the way that they have sort of, they've come from sort of nowhere. I looked at them for super inspiration because I think the way that they run, not only their kind of brand platform, but the way they run their whole business is really interesting. So they flip their collections at the wrong, like out of season to luxury. So they do a lot of buy it now. So they do catwalks for kind of spring, summer, in spring, summer. They, because they're kind of like resort where they can always sell kind of like a a collection, but the way they bring those, those brand moments to life, whether it's through their kind of, they understand this, this really intrinsic connection between digital and physical and kind of exclusivity. And they do really cool kind of like brand experiences. They do pop-ups. They do sort of store concepts. But it's all very kind of like considered. So I think they're they're a really good example. But then I love kind of these, there's like, I, the, the great thing about doing Shop Shop and the point of doing it was that I sort of last, I think it was last, it was a, it was a sort of weird folly of an idea for a, a New Year's resolution. I was like, oh, okay, well, maybe I could post a picture of a shop every day. And I thought it would last, like, probably, like, as everyone does for a New Year's resolution, like, probably six weeks, and I'd get fed up of posting it. Well, we're now, like, 18 months on. It's like, and I've managed to post a shop or a, or a store concept or a pop-up or a window display or every day for since then, which is, they're not even, like, they're not old. They're not, they're, like, I try and make sure that they're, like, tomorrow I don't know what I'm posting because I want them to be, it's a feeling. Like I see it and I go, right, that's that's cool. That's awesome. So mm. it's like, actually, these things are happening in their life and the brands are doing it. But I think there's, there's like brands like Childish Energy, which is, I'd never heard of them, but I sort of stumbled across them on Instagram and they were doing this kind of pop-up in London. There were two guys from YouTube, sort of started an energy drinks brand. I don't know what they spent on their kind of activation. Not a lot. But I just love the way they built kind of a, a sort of supermarket-based installation. But everything felt kind of considered by the packaging, the store concept, the location was cool. It was all like inst- like they got influences involved and it just felt relevant. And that's why I think they kind of got what that physical activation, the purpose was to drive this, as we talk about KPI. Like it wasn't about selling product. We're just getting loads of people there to kind of Instagram the hell out of it <laughs> and make it look super cool. I love the kind of mad mix that's probably happened since since COVID is that these brands are braver to do these things. There's still the middle ground, like we spoke about, that I think are really struggling to embrace it because 
because of those kind of like corporate structures they've got in internally. Yeah. And that's, I'm really, that's what I'm, one of my missions, if that's even a mission, if you can have a mission in life, <laughs> it's really sad <laughs> as well. When I talk about this is my mission, is to try and get inside some of these bigger ships and say, guys, look, come on, let's, what can we do to turn this? Because otherwise you die. Like, yeah. I'm really sad that Topshop died because I worked there for a, like a long, three, and I worked with some really cool, and I think I learned so much, perhaps more about business than I've probably ever thought I did. And it's sad that that died yeah. because it didn't move forward. Yeah. Well, so I have a question for you, but I'm going to like go off on a slight tangent, so bear with me. So when you, you know, when you were talking before about like big brands, obviously making a move towards try, trying trying to do things differently is really, really hard. I think that when you give them more signals and examples of where other brands are doing it, like what you're doing with Shop Drop Daily, I think it, that's really, really powerful. One of the examples that we've been giving in the grocery space is Pop-Up Grocer. So it's kind of going back to that point you made about small brands or new brands to the space. They almost feel less inhibited by the rules of the past. They just do things their own way. So in the case of Pop-Up Grocer, not sponsored, <laughs> not sponsoring this podcast, but I'm just a huge fan. You know, they kind of rotate. They have a very like yeah. almost beauty shop, spa-like look and feel. And then the only thing that they stock is like a very selective curated array of products that are more sustainable, more ethical, display diverse owners, brand owners and product sourcing. So it's a like a really interesting juxtaposition, I think, between the older players who feel like they need to play it safe a little bit and the new guys that are like, screw that, I'm just going to do it really, really differently and maybe are playing up. This is where my question is going. Maybe are playing up a little bit more the like where conscious consumerism is taking retail is like blending the the things that make retail great and that make it play a, a continued important role in our lives and give us that creative escape and the emotional escape, but also tap into that more responsible conscious consumerism trend that we see or movement that we see. I love pop-up growth as well because it, it kind of is this new way of, like you say, of looking at that space. Like there's this kind of curated experiences and I that's why I talk about like I use the curated a lot because it actually now it's what's relevant to the consumer what's the consumer into like let's let's kind of edit this space so it's really targeted there's one that in the UK called Lone Des Design Club which kind of does the same thing it, it kind of just only has brands at short times sort of, um, like for a week or two weeks and they do pop-ups and it's they kind of bring together a lot of independence. So you you it feels special, it feels unique. They're kind of ethical brands. They all sit within their kind of realms of of what the brand, their kind of overarching feel for that, for those sort of um, the brand. But it, I really it's difficult. I think the kind of conscious consumerism piece is really difficult in the in this. Because I'm so sort of like, I love creativity and newness. But that comes at a kind of environmental cost. So it's there's so much happening with in stuff that I don't really kind of understand. It's more materialities and it's like sustainable choices on materials. But I saw, I did see a kind of post that did make me kind of like hurt inside when I saw that I loved all the Barbie stuff, right? I, I was obsessed with the Barbie installations, the activations that Barbie did. Like there was one in Selfridges, Zara had like them. They looked insane. But then I did see on LinkedIn that there was uh, someone had sort of snapped a picture of it going into this like recycling truck. 
And I was like, oh man, is this, this is the kind of this challenge between this constant kind of like creating these environments that get us out of our homes, that engage in physical activations. I think we're still in this kind of world where we're trying to sort of traverse this, this balance between kind of creating experience that also are consciously thought through. And I, there, there's bits. And the more I spend on Shop Today, actually, the more I spend doing Shop Today is I start to see things and I go, well, actually that, this concept that I've seen now in, I don't know, China, in Beijing, is also the same kit of parts now in Dubai. And what's really interesting is I think brands are going, right, actually, we, we're going to invest in this kind of concept. And we're going to start to move that concept around globally. It's going to pack down. It's going to be transportable. But that goes back to those KPIs. Like at the beginning of this conversation, there needs to be a thing of, right, this, this kind of experience we're going to create has to hit on X, Y, and Z. And one of those is our sort of sustainable pieces. But yeah, I think the the kind of conscious curation, it's it's definitely there, this, this kind of edited to fit the kind of consumer but there has to be decisions behind what you're, what you're kind of editing out. The key is curated space. And I kind of use create spaces and it's all about creating places rather than just like store spaces. And I use that, that sort of terminology. Yeah. It's really cheesy. Isn't it? No, I love it. Yeah. Creating the spaces. Yeah. Cause it could also be taken as like when you're really trying to push your brand into a new space, almost like space, create the space internally for you to come together as a team and have the freedom and have the ability to just think very openly in a new way. It's kind of like a mental space and then yeah. physical space. Even in my day, we took a, we took an office because we thought we needed a space. Mm -hmm. and we took, we were kind of always working remote. Then when COVID came and then we took an office after COVID, it was like, well, we need a space. But actually the space that we took didn't feel kind of intrinsically right because although it was a space, it wasn't the right space. It's really weird. And I think we question a lot more now as to what is the right environment to be in. And that's the same whether it's our homes or our, the, the store con stores we visit or our supermarkets, because I don't know, like we, we kind of value these, these spaces a lot more. Yeah. And we expect, like I say, I think that's because we expect more from them, like even from your grocery, like I think that's why any kind of like grocery shop that's not a standard grocery is, is exciting because that's where you can like explore and find new products. Uh -huh. It's like a farm, sh like farm shop is kind of cool because it, it doesn't feel like that same experience as going around the aisles of Tesco's. Like yeah. it's yeah. Well, I think it's it's good to also showcase to people who are like living and breathing all of this day to day that you can do it differently. Like the examples that we just gave, you know, you can kind of pause and think about how you can marry the intent of where your brand is going to go with how you activate it and still retain that creativity with, um, you know, potentially like a greater consistency for your brand um, in how it comes to life and potentially greater sustainability, if that's your intent. So I think that, you, you know, what you're doing is really, really important to be able to do that is to give people the space to think differently, which is my segue into the last question that I have for you. What is your go-to when you're trying to look outside and see things from a different perspective? It's really sad, isn't it? It's really cliche. <laughs> I do like an hour and 40 minute train journey. Oh, so okay. if I, if I go to London, that, that is my time. It's a really weird thing. Like I can't read. I'm not, a, I'm not a very good reader. I love information, but I'm not very good at reading books. So I, 
that's my sort of space. I love a trip. Like I get excited, like say with galleries, art exhibitions. I've started this a lot more is doing just sort of walks, city walks to just kind of like switch off. Love it. And I think, yeah, I don't need a lot of, it doesn't need to be kind of like ticket. It's definitely just little things mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it doesn't have to be something grand. I love that. So, Tim, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review or share the show and I will see you next time. Until then, keep looking outside. Bye.